Welcome to the Social Impact Pulse, a podcast where we aim to cultivate intimate conversations with entrepreneurs working at the intersection of the sustainable livelihoods and lifestyle sectors. Each episode is a no-filter conversation with entrepreneurs where we dig deep into the values they hold dear and how that molds and shapes the social impact they strive for through their organizations. In this episode, we are joined by Kinda Hibrawi, co-founder of Minton Laurel, a social enterprise and e-commerce with one vision, to connect highly skilled artisans from the Middle East to an untapped global market. We hear about how the brand got started, the moments that have made her proud as co-founder, the challenges they face, and the legacy they'd like to leave behind. On with the show. Hi, my name is Kinda Hebrawi. I'm the co-founder of Mint and Moral, and we launched in 2019 in Los Angeles, California. And we combine our Syrian traditions with modern designs wrapped in eco-friendly packaging, all made in America. So I'm an artist and I had worked in the nonprofit sector many years. And then I left the nonprofit world and then got a job in corporate. And while it was fulfilling financially, I was missing something, just something meaningful and creative. Um, And I knew at the time, being from Syria, how important it was to tell a different story and how much, how many people I had met on the ground through my nonprofit work that really were very talented and were really looking for opportunities, you know, to to provide for their families. So it kind of came together because I started sort of bringing products from Aleppo. And uh, this is where I'm from originally. My family is from Aleppo, Syria. And I started selling some stuff just through like Facebook, honestly. And when they saw that there was really positive feedback, I felt like maybe there's something there. And that's really how... The, the seed of the company started. And then as I started talking about it more and more, you know, I collected a, a team and I met my partner who had met previous, you know, my business partner, Rama, who had previously met her through the nonprofit world. She had a social impact background and was also an entrepreneur like myself. So we kind of came together and started laying out ideas and what we could do. And I think we spent about a year just uh, going through different products and sampling different products, reaching out to different artisans on the ground um, from Syria, Lebanon, Turkey, Tunisia. And so we knew that we wanted to kind of build out this template of a social impact business and that we would start with Syria because there was such a big need. And being Syrians ourselves, it was much easier to connect with artisans directly through our network. And we felt strongly that if we could build the template with Syria, then we can actually replicate it for other countries in the region and continue to help preserve an ancient heritage, which is what we do with our products. In addition to um, creating this packaging and sort of this brand that updates what traditional art is essentially. Thanks for that great introduction, Kinda. Could you tell us a little more about how you landed on soaps as a product? Yes. So I grew up with this soap as a child. And then it really reminds me of my grandmother. My grandmother used to put it in the laundry, like just in between her linens. And it just the smell of it just is very clean and refreshing. And Aleppo laurel soap, it's famous in Syria throughout the region, in fact. So it was something that that I really felt passionate about. Um, It was also a product that I felt was 
people, a lot of people didn't know about really like in the West, right? So in Syria do, but it was something that not a lot of people knew about here. And then the benefits of it. I started getting eczema actually due to my very high stressful job and in corporate. And the soap really helped it. It helped clear up my eczema prone skin. Obviously the scent was very nostalgic. It was all natural ingredients and it's the oldest artisanal soap ever made. So it kind of hit all these like marks as far as a product went. But I really was passionate about uh, as a creative about packaging too. So I designed all the packaging to make it where it was a beautiful, like you could just give it as a gift because I really felt uh, strongly that these products were coming so far and we're going through such a long journey to arrive here in America that they needed to be presented as in just as a beautiful way to give them that value that I felt was almost missing. So yeah, that's kind of how soap came about or the journey of soap came about. And then soap gifting came after that. So I felt that again, you know, we could, instead of like a flower or flowers, that you gift to someone who would tend to like, you know, die within a few days, that you could gift someone a beautiful soap gift and it smelled great, right? And then it was eco-friendly and then you could use it. So that's kind of, again, the idea of how can we reuse products? How can create um, an impact? And then we're also giving back to artisans in Syria, as well as using eco-friendly packaging that's made here in America. So is there a meaning behind the name Mint and Laurel? Well, I wanted something easy. So it was something that we like had our whole family be a part of, actually. Because, <laughs> you know, you're trying to come up with a name. And so I had, we had Rama, Rama's sisters, actually, the one who really came up with the name. But like I had my sisters, we had Rama's siblings and brothers. I mean, it was like a whole family thing. We're like, what are we going to name this? So I wanted, again, something simple and easy that also represented the culture. So mint is definitely all about fresh and very clean. And um, we use a lot of mint in our food in general in the Middle East. And then laurel is the laurel berry oil that's found in the soap, which is very, um, very rare as an oil. And it just, it's, you know, they use it in the soap, obviously the main ingredient in the soap. And it has an antibacterial, antimicrobial itching agent, the laurel berry oil. So what's in the soap is olive oil, laurel berry oil, the essential oil, water and lye, five ingredients. So that's kind of where mint and laurel came from. And also the website was available, right? So that that kind of that kind of sealed the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't underestimate the importance of an available free, you know, name on a website. Yes. If the website name is free and available, best to grab it quickly. Switching gears slightly, Kinda, how do you cultivate impact at a personal level and how does that manifest itself through the brand? Well, first, I think, you know, so many of us go through our lives experiencing different things that impact us you know, momentous things, right? Um, Things that we personally witness that other people haven't, whether that's environmental, social, cultural. So for me personally, as a creative and as an artist and as someone who was working directly with refugees and the displaced for so many years, that left a big impact for me. And so I really wanted to have a meaningful career that gave back. I think the hardest part is definitely what is that, right? What is that for a lot of people? How do I find that? And honestly, I say go back to what simply kind of moves you. You know, a lot of people, it's animals, right? It's animal rights. A lot of people, it's, um, you know, Black Lives Matter that came out recently. That's really impactful. So I think for each individual, it is different. And that's why I think that like having a 
business that gives back is so great because everyone is so different and what they can give back is so different depending on their life experiences. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's really it. And then additionally, I wanted to add sort of the environmental impact of that and, and how do we, I think the we're solving the problem, of how to create a beautiful product that is eco-friendly, that's zero waste, um, that gives back environmentally was key. So I'm really proud of the fact that we've been able to hit sort of these different areas of impact that were meaningful for myself and for my co-founder, Rama, which is the social, which is giving back to at-risk artisan communities in Syria, the cultural preserving an ancient heritage, which due to the conflict, it is at risk of dying, right? And then lastly, which is the eco-friendly packaging and environmental. So being able to sort of hit those three across the board was something that we're really proud of and has been important in continuing with our um, social impact business. Could you share with us three moments when being the founder of Minton Laurel made you proud? So having it come down to three moments is so hard, but I'm going to try. <laughs> I think one of the first moments was like receiving our very, very first shipment from Syria in our LA headquarters. That was like, I can still remember that. It was super exciting. It's such a challenge. I don't know how many, how, how much people know about just importing from a sanctioned country, which Syria is, because the US sanctioned country. So having to go through the lawyers and making sure that all our products are okay, which they are, because they fall under like artisanal crafts and art, making sure that they got through customs being able to then pay our artisans. So, you know, it really takes a, a while. So I think that first like kind of opening of the box and container and getting that big whiff of like soap and it was really exciting. A second one was a lot of these products I designed myself, but I would design them with the artisans there. So we would communicate via WhatsApp, right? Or email. And so I never really saw physically what a lot of them look like until they arrived here. So that was so exciting to see sort of like my collaborative work in hand, physically in hand, like a lot of the uh, Arabani or the embroidered pouches that we have, like that was something that we made and I made up and created with the women. And then lastly, was being able to give back to so many women in Syria who have been impacted and displaced by war as a woman myself. And we're a female-led company, obviously, that was super important to us. And uh, so many women have had to be the breadwinners and their families. They've had to take up because a lot of their husbands um, have either died, gone off to other countries or are no longer around for various reasons. So I think being able to work with different women groups and having these products made beautifully and then being able to be part of their way of providing for their family was very exciting too. And I will add one more. I know that's three, but I will add one more, which is definitely getting then the customer feedback from, you know, the recipient who would place an order online, whether it was how easy it was to order, how beautiful, that it was nostalgic for them that it reminded them of a beautiful Syria or, um, you know, whether they gifted it to someone and felt so proud that this represented their heritage. So that was also a pretty defining moment. Kinda, could you tell us a little bit more about the women and artisans with whom you work? So it's a variation of things. So they're not all women that we work with. For example, our artisan weaver, Abdullah, he 
does a lot of the textiles himself, but then the finishing is done by a group of women that he has hired, many of whom are widowed due to the conflict. And so he, they are apprentices under him. So all the detail finishing is with, with them. So I don't necessarily work directly with those women, but Abdullah does, right? So there's that situation versus some of the women that we've worked with in Lebanon, for example, the, the tradition has been passed down or they've recently learned it. Same in Damascus. We work with a group of women. It is a, an organization. And then you usually work directly with the manager of the organization. And then she distributes the work accordingly. Uh, so it is through various ways of working with women. Yeah, so it's not, I would say, just one single path. So what is it that keeps you up at night? It's such a big question for like a small business owner. <laughs> I think I read this quote the other day. It's like, if you see me talking myself, don't bother me. I'm in a staff meeting. <laughs> right? That's kind of like how it how we roll here. So, I mean, it could be a number of things, right? It could be, did the customer get their order on time? Is the shipment coming from Syria on time? Do we have enough product? Like right now is definitely a situation where, do we just have enough product? Is the shipment of inventory across the board, like not even just as a, from within the U.S. has been an issue for a lot of companies, um, just having enough inventory because of COVID. You know, then you have the unforeseen like COVID, right? Like how do you, that was a big one for us when the pandemic and the lockdown happened. We really had to change our strategy and completely change gears to be all online marketing versus we had a bunch of like, we just recently, we hadn't been, you know, up that long barely a year and 2020 hit and we had all these like pop-ups and trade shows and stuff set up to kind of introduce the brand and everything shut down. So we completely had to re-strategize our market. Our online marketing was got, had to get pumped up and, you know, digital footprint had to be up going up and we ended up working with a lot of uh, team members, a lot of interns, a lot of volunteers because so many people are at home and available. So that was a positive that we got a lot of like help with that. You just kind of like have to be really good at rolling with the punches. That's what I say. Like, I think that's what makes a good entrepreneur is that you have to be able to handle and deal with problems as they come, you know, in the mo- because if you're not able to do that and you take it out on your teammates or you're just this super anxiety, worry, which we all are, but it's how you respond to that, how you react to that, that I think really defines your success as a, as a company, as a business. And I would say that's a big positive of working in a war zone or on the border, which is like, you got to be ready for those, you know, rolling with the punches because it is like happening on an hourly basis on a big scale. So I think all having that background and experience really helped me coming into this field. Like really nothing is that bad. Like nothing is that horrible um, because of what I've you know experienced previously. So that was a really good setup. But sure, you still, you know, um, you still worry. I mean, if you don't as a business owner, then I think there's something wrong, honestly. Like I think it just comes with the territory. Uh, I just think it's more about what you do with that energy. That's a great perspective to have. So Kinda, we want to focus on the legacy you'd like to leave for the brand. If you had to write an obituary for Minton Laurel, what would it be? How would you like the brand to be remembered? You know, again, I think it's about what kind of difference that we made, what kind of impact did we make with our small business, uh, what kind of footprint are we leaving behind, which is the legacy. Uh, I mean, I think 
people that leave a legacy in different ways. I mean, you can leave a legacy just by holding a door open and someone making someone's day and said, you know, I'm being kind, right? And I think the way that we lead, we choose to lead with thoughtfulness and compassion and empathy. But we also are very conscious of what's happening in our, like with the environment, socially, culturally. And I think you really have to be that way because I think today we do have a very, what I call conscious consumer. And so when you're, when your customer base is that way, which it, for the most part it is, then as a business owner and leader, you also want to be able to make sure that you're impacting with your products, with your business, with your leadership in a very conscious way as well. Right. So, you know, again, it's, a, it's about hitting the, the points of how have we helped preserve a heritage? How have we helped give back families, you know, a little bit of dignity. That was one of the things that was really important on my experience, again, with working people, displaced as uh, individuals was they just wanted to feel normal. And they just wanted to feel like they were also making an impact and giving back. You know, they'd lost so much. So the idea of like, you know, we believe in a hand up rather than a hand out. So the, you know, it's, it's not just giving someone a donation, but you're actually giving them work, which gives someone productivity and value and meaning even for themselves. And I think that's a much more impactful, motivating thing to do instead of just kind of like the handout, right? The hand up. That's why we actually don't refer to our makers as refugees. There's been such a negative connotation with the word refugee, unfortunately, due to what the media has put out there. And a lot of the, the people that I've worked with who have been displaced do not want to be defined by the word refugee. They want to be just like how that they've escaped or dealt with conflict or, um, you know, displaced, displaced or because of the war. They want to be defined by their work. They want to be defined by the, their talents, their artists as well, right? And their business people. And I mean, and their mothers. And they're, they're all these things. And I feel like there's a lot of brands out there who kind of like tack on to use the word refugee to kind of push their brand forward um, because it has this, this way of bringing in other customers or consumers who feel like they want to help and give back. But I, the opposite or the other side of that is, but what's it doing to the individual who is a refugee? How is that making them feel? So again, it's that concept of dignity and listening really to the people that you're working with who have gone through this horrific time and conflict. How do they want to be referred to? It's not me that's going to define them or the media or society. It's them. So the way that they want to be defined is through their work, which makes so much sense. I think if you or anyone else out there was in their situation, I don't think that you would want to be defined by your trial and tribulations and the hardship. I think you would also want to be defined by the work that you're giving back. So those are those things that I feel is really key to our brand in general. Like how are we continuing to how have we continued to do that? And how have we grown sustainably? Um, who are the team members that we've brought on board? Yeah, I think all of that, all of the above. <laughs> what would you do if you could be unreasonable and the sky was the limit? What are some of those big dreams and aspirations? Well, I, um, I would really love to open a shop 
of a boutique store. I am lucky to have my office where I get to walk in every morning and smell this amazing soap. And it's very, it's really lovely. (laughs) And I would want to have the public experience that as well. So I think just having that experience of walking in, having a little bit of Syria, a little bit of the Middle East in LA, where you can buy some gifts, maybe have a cup of tea and just leave having a good kind of overall positive experience. What I call experiential retail is the goal. Yeah, I think that would be, that's kind of where my sky is right now, what I'm looking up at. Kinda, this has been such a great conversation. To wrap things up, what advice might you have for entrepreneurs in the social impact space? The tips I would suggest, first and foremost, don't give up. I mean, I've been there myself, you know, which is why it's great to have teammates and uh, who can sometimes be a sounding board, sometimes also help lift you up. We're human at the end of the day. And again, as a small business owner, you always feel like maybe you're not doing enough or you're not, you know, providing enough. And so we're our harshest critics. So take it easy on yourself. And I say this even to myself, giving myself my own advice, right? Um, So, you know, definitely have some good teammates. Don't give up. I think the road, the social impact road is challenging and it is longer than it would be just, let's say, like a regular e-commerce business or retail business, um, because there's a lot more steps behind the scenes that people don't realize is going on. Yeah. So I think, again, finding people who align with your values, who you can all agree are on the same page, priority wise, on the same page with your goals is really key. And I feel very lucky to have found a, you know, business partner and friend really who, you know, I can lean on when at times are tough. And I, I mean, I think that's the most challenging because nobody else can really understand other than, you know, the person, the person involved directly with you. So if, and if you don't have a co-founder or a partner, you know, find a, a coach, you can always find like a business coach who can also help guide you, but definitely find like a sounding board. Cause I think it does get challenging and tough and we can sort of overwhelm ourselves being kind of digging in deep to the situation of a small business. It's always good to have like another perspective or an outsider, or just someone that you can lean on or talk to. Many thanks for listening to this episode of the Social Impact Pulse. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your feedback and feel free to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, do check out our accompanying animation created especially for this episode. The Social Impact Pulse is a project of the Artisan Gateway and soon to be launched, Their Stories Be Told.